I'll open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. While you're turning there, <clears throat> it's uh, no news to those who have been with us uh, for the last several weeks, but just context for those who are just joining us for the first time. We're going through a series called It Is Good, looking at Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2 in particular, and considering uh, what do we see there in terms of the goodness of God's creation that he originally created. You may uh, have heard it said that the, the, the story of the Bible, the grand narrative of the Bible can be understood in terms of Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's a way of sort of understanding the story that the Bible tells. Creation fell in chapter 3 through the first sin of man and woman. Um, that God set about a plan to redeem all that was lost through that fall while man still just wallows around in his fallenness all through the Bible and all through this past week that you and I lived, and it'll be there this week too, right? And that he uh, worked together a plan to redeem that through the death of Christ and that ultimately all of that will be restored. And the way the story ends is this good creation that fell through human sin will be replaced, as it were, restored, but replaced with a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. That's the story that the Bible tells. And so it is really necessary for us to understand the life we live and what even we read in the scriptures, that we understand that in light of what he began and how it'll all come to an end. And so it's through those lenses that we come to this passage to see what does he say is good? Because we'll find the more we conform ourselves to living how he says is good, the more life will be good for us. And the more we resolutely determine to reject what he says is good and try to define our own way of doing things, the more we will find ourselves stumbling again and again into misery. And so as we go through this series every once in a while, we just kind of look at little snapshots of how there's proof that that is true. That when we live determined to do it our own way, there are dire consequences to that. But blessing to come from living his way. So that's sort of the uh, theme of the series and the context, again, for those who are just joining us this morning. I'm doing today part two of a message on purposeful living, that purposeful living is good, and we see that sort of framed out for us in Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. So with that introduction, I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, reverence to him, and attentiveness to his voice. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply 
and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you now as always for your word and open it with the expectation you have something to say to us in it. Something that is true, something that is living, something that is powerful and timely and personal. And so we open our hearts to receive and ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good. Lord, move me out of the way and use my voice as your vehicle today, your vessel to communicate to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. A little over a year ago, actually in November, I think it was, of 2021, the Pew Research Center uh, conducted a survey to determine what makes life meaningful in the minds of people in 17 advanced economies around the world. You know, I've mentioned these last couple of weeks, you know, that uh, everybody searches for meaning. Everybody tries to connect their life to some sense of meaning, even perhaps those who ultimately come to the conclusion there is no meaning, that everybody's really searching to connect their life with a sense of meaning. The Pew Research Center conducted this survey to people in 17 countries um, in advanced economies around the world and, and, and asked them what makes life meaningful. Most people in most countries named family and occupation at the top of the list. Um, and there was a great deal of variability in uh, the, the rest of the answers, but other frequent responses were material well-being, um, health, friends, society, and so forth. Americans were much more likely than people in other countries to say that uh, religion or faith was an important source of meaning. So it did make the top five for Americans. It was number five. I didn't make the top five for any other of those 17 countries. And so I think what we, would, what we would want to say is that there is something right that everybody in those countries recognizes or something consistent at least with the word of God in saying that there is a sense of meaning to be found in things like family and work. But what God reveals to us right here in Genesis chapter 1, is really that uh, the meaning, whatever sense of meaning we derive from family and occupation is actually uh, linked to a higher purpose that he has for us. So family and occupation and all of those other things uh, matter, they matter to God. But they're linked to a greater sense of purpose. And we began to uncover that last week, namely that he said, uh, as human beings, a crowning act of his, his creation, as his image bearers, that he put people on the earth to reveal something of his own glory on the earth. That's his, his purpose, that, that he himself would be shown to all the earth by the presence of people and their activity on the earth. And uh, again, for just a quick review, if you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, by the, by the way, I would recommend you listen uh, to that message from last week, not because it was particularly good, 
In fact, I would, I would say, so lower your expectations in that regard. But, uh, but in terms of the, the, so, so much of this series, the messages are interwoven together. And, um, and this one will make the most sense if it's connected to that. And uh, the same will be true for the ones that follow. But this, uh, these couple of verses that we read, particularly verse 20, uh, 28, is often referred to as the cultural commission or the cultural mandate that consists of a blessing, God blessed them and said, and then he issued this uh, two-pronged, two-part command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. As Nancy Pierce, he says, that involves developing the social world. All those relationships and social institutions and all that kind of thing that would come down through the centuries of human activity. But be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then the second part of that is subdue the earth, and have dominion over it. And she says uh, that is that amounts to harnessing the natural world. So that's the, really the two parts of the, this cultural commission, develop the social world, harness the natural world. Or as uh, another source said, it really involves filling the earth with God's glory by developing its latent potential and creating what we commonly call culture. I want to, uh, again, revisit that one idea as we um, unfold today's message, this idea of developing the latent potential of the earth. If you missed that last week, or either you weren't here or you just didn't get it. I, it's my fault if you didn't get it entirely. But the point there is to say the earth that God created, that good creation, even right where he planted um, Adam and Eve, it had potential to yield good things that it would not yield by itself. The earth had potential that would yield good things that would only be yielded through the activity, the effort and ingenuity of human beings. So right there in the beginning, he put them in a garden and said, tend it, cultivate it, and cause it to bring forth things, uh, either uh, not, uh, maybe things that wouldn't grow without their effort, but certainly things that wouldn't grow in that quantity um, or degree of health and so forth. The earth has potential that we are to develop. And so you and I are born at a period of time where millennia have gone by of people developing new technologies, all kinds of things, making progress in countless ways and that's the world that we were planted in. But even there, there is potential for more to be produced. That through our own efforts and ingenuity, our contribution to that, um, there's, there's greater things that can be yielded. That's the idea of the cultural commission. And so I wanted to put some feet on that a little bit um, to, to try to get more concrete and practical, but how do, we, how do we really obey the cultural commission or how do we carry out the cultural commission? What are things that you in your life this week or that we together can do and, and do do that are essentially amount to carrying out this commission? And really uh, some of the most obvious ways that we can do that as image bearers of God as, as uh, those put on the earth to be co-creators 
and co-rulers, that is, to do the work that God began, to continue the work that God began as co-rulers on the earth, we can look at what he did in the first two chapters, or really the first chapter in creation, what did God do? And we can imitate that. And so let me give you five, really four specific ways. There are five, uh, five points here, uh, but four, four or five ways anyway, uh, that we carry out this great commission, the cultural commission. Number one is bringing order out of disorder. Bringing order out of disorder. One of the ways that human beings reflect the very character and nature of God is bringing, dis, bringing order out of disorder. In Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, formless and empty. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. That in the beginning of creation, the initial, uh, when, when nothing became something, when God created the heavens and the earth, it was initially without form and void, and God began to form and fill. If you're taking notes, maybe write that one down. The earth, the creation in the very beginning is without form and empty and God began to form it and fill it. And that's what we read in the verses that follow. These days of creation, forming and filling. He brought order out of disorder. This, this dark, formless, chaotic, existence he brought it into order and so we can represent him by doing the same thing this is one of the one of the most basic ways that you and I participate with God in the work that he's doing on planet earth at any given time and so on a societal level this some of the significant ways that we see this happen that we benefit from in the life that you and I live that not everybody around the world benefits from uh, would be the creation of laws which are enforced by law enforcement. I mention this from time to time, but that's actually, those, both of those are important that they play together, right? Uh, that there's law and that there's law enforcement um, by the way, my, my sort of awareness of some of things, uh, these things is, was magnified by my trip to Uganda last year. I mean, in, in other words, to, to know that it has not been true in all places at all times, and it's not true right now this morning everywhere in the world, uh, that, that all of the disorder has been brought into order. Or that what was once ordered hasn't fallen back into disorder. There are places in the world where that's true too, but law and law enforcement, traffic signals, thank God for them. Um, public utilities, including water and sewer. Uh, public sanitation, just trash collection. Now you know there are places, again, people living in the world 
this morning where there is no public trash collection system, there is no public uh, sewage system, and, they, and, and, and people get sick and die because of it, that lives are saved when someone goes in and find, finds ways to provide clean water sources, teaches them how they can improve sanitation and so on. That stuff, left to itself, is very disorderly. And I'm glad we don't have to live uh, that way. But those are, again, we could, we could go through countless examples of that. But the point is where, where life left to itself would be in terrible disorder and people bring that into order. That is a, a great contribution to humanity. And it is, those, those, those are examples of people carrying out the cultural commission that God's given us. Bring in uh, order out of disorder. And, and there are ways, again, that you can practice that uh, in your own life. And it could begin with, and I'm, I'm really not joking when I say this, but to, uh, to sort of bring yourself back into the, the uh, discipline of willfully obeying God in ca- carrying out this cultural commission. You could start by making your bed. Um, clean your room. Declutter the house. Trim the lawn and the hedges. Pull weeds, plant flowers instead. Um, pick up the trash in the street or the neighborhood. Return shopping carts to the cart return station in the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> Be a great service to your fellow man. Even if you collected and returned carts that you didn't leave but that somebody else did. Bringing order um, out of disorder. And the point is, like, there are really all kinds of very practical ways that that can actually be exercised in your life and mine. And it is good for us to do it. I mean, there's plenty of evidence that it is um, it's good for mental health to be kind of orderly, uh, for our surroundings to be decluttered and orderly. And it can be really bad for somebody's mental health when it gets very cluttered and disorderly. So there's real concrete, practical value in doing that, but it's a simple way of, uh, of again, beginning by choice to carry out the cultural commission that God's given us. To, to imitate him by bringing order to disorder. Number two, we can imitate him by creating and building new things. And we do this, um, again, as societies, building buildings and bridges, again, building some of the infrastructure that serves the purposes I mentioned earlier in the way of uh, sanitation and public utilities and so on. Now, God began his work of creation by creating something out of nothing. That we cannot do. We can only make something out of something. But given... um, Again, the world as it comes to us, the natural resources and other resources that we encounter. We can imitate him in creating new things from that. And if you, again, if you look with fresh eyes, if you go back and read even these, the days of creation as it's recounted for us here, 
what you see is that God created the world in a progressive and purposeful way. He didn't say, in other words, poof, and everything uh, was just so, right? That's not even the way it's told in creation. He, uh, he, he created progressively. It was dark. He said, let there be light. And then he filled the skies with light, day and night. He then gathered the waters in one place and the land in another, right? So the dry land was formed, and then he filled the dry land with vegetation, which produced seed, which would produce other vegetation, and so on and so forth. But the, You can go back and read it, but the point is, he did so progressively and purposefully. That there was a, a, there was a purpose for each step of that creation, and it sort of built one, one built upon the other, or expanded uh, the, the, the purpose previously. Again, my point in highlighting that was to say this is exactly the way um, cultural development happens, is progressively we build new things beginning with what's been built before us. Right? I mean, so we, uh, there's all kinds of incredible, mind-boggling digital technology that's been developed in our lifetime. But only because of the work other people had done before, right? I mean, you, know, you, could, you could go back and look at sort of the, the generations of development that, he, that are inherited with, by each successive generation. We make improvements upon what has been given to us and so again, this is one of, the, one of the ways that you and I ought to consider ourselves responsible, accountable to God, is that in some way we, we receive what's been given to us, so to speak, we, at, at the world that we enter and occupy, that there we make our contribution in creating and building new things. I would say to you, even those who are just creators, artists, composers, just creating beautiful things, uh, it gives praise to God. That, that is in itself an expression of worship, particularly when offered to God. It doesn't have to be Painting a spiritual painting. It doesn't have to be a painting, a painting of Jesus on the cross, but just creating as an expression of what the creativity that he has put in you. I say you because he didn't put much in me. Uh, but creating and building new things, that's part of the way that we can carry out the cultural commission. Number three, pursuing excellence and beauty. You know, we this really this series is kind of the, the, the header verse almost for the series comes from Genesis 1.31. that says, God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. That's kind of the premise of the whole series that in the beginning, God's creation was very good. It was all very good. And so, not to make things too deep or too complicated, but it's just we ought to strive 
um, to the things that we create and the things that we build, the order that we bring to disorder, we ought to strive to do it in a way that's very good. Does that make sense? God did his work. It was all very good. Uh, we who, who are uh, vice regents of God, that we serve in his name under his authority on his, on his behalf, we ought to do so in a way that's very good. Excellent. And beautiful. Beauty is not mentioned explicitly in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 here, or actually, I, I don't think in, I don't know that we find the word um, even in the book of Genesis, but what we know for sure from elsewhere in the Bible is that to be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of beauty. Let me read a few verses to you that get at the centrality of this. Because this is something uh, we've sort of lost in Protestant evangelical uh, traditions in a lot of ways. Uh, a real, uh, a high appreciation of beauty. But here's a few verses. Psalm 27, 4. You'll have to just write down the reference if you want to look them up later. It says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Part of the splendor of eternity. The, the, the sort of, what, what's the word even for it? The, the exhilaration of living eternally in the presence of God is that we will gaze upon his beauty. Psalm 96, 5 and 6. The Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Where he is, beauty is. Psalm 50, verse 2. Out of Zion, his city where he dwells. So we just saw in his, in his presence, Psalm 27, 4. That we'll gaze upon his beauty. In his sanctuary, there's beauty. In his city, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Where God dwells, beauty dwells. And then in Exodus 28, 2, where the, the priestly office essentially is being developed and commanded about how, uh, how Aaron the priest shall do the work of priest and how he will be dressed all of that very symbolic, but it says of the, of the garments of the priest in Exodus 28 two, you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. The garments of the priest who would come before the Lord on behalf of the people and would stand before the people on behalf of God. The priest was to be adorned in beautiful attire. Now maybe I've, uh, I've overemphasized that point there. But I think what, the, what, what, what we know about what's revealed about the very presence of God and beauty in his presence that would suggest that the, the work that we do, the things that we build and create on this earth, we ought to strive for them to be excellent and beautiful. Beautiful. 
if our work on this earth, our presence, our activity on this earth is to reveal something about God, we ought to bring beauty into the world. And again, you'll see, not to, not to overemphasize this point either, but you'll see in cultures in decline um, a, a gravitation toward ugliness. Just, I mean, but just ugliness. Just things that are, like people are trying to be repulsive in, in different ways. But you certainly see a degradation of the quality of uh, artwork and architecture and a number of things of that sort. To be in his presence is to be in the presence of beauty. And so representing his presence in the world involves bringing beauty into it. Number four, we carry out this cultural commission by maintaining rhythms of work and rest. Maintaining rhythms of work and rest. Again, don't need to say a whole lot about that, but God who did not need rest, rested. That's part of, the, part of the account of creation is that he, he who did not need rest modeled for us a pattern of rest to follow work. It says in Genesis 2, 2 and 3 there, the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And of course, we know from that comes the Sabbath principle um, uh, embedded in the Ten Commandments. And a large part of the reason we as the church of Jesus Christ gather on Sunday, a day set apart for rest from our ordinary work and for worship. And again, that could be another message in its, uh, of its own, but, we, but it's a helpful reminder to say God modeled that at a time when he didn't need it, which he still doesn't need it, but uh, he, 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 he didn't need the rest and he modeled it at a time before there was even sin in the world. Then he said, these are the rhythms um, that we ought to live in, work and rest. And after the entry of sin and the fall of man, he would reveal weekly Sabbaths, annual feasts, right? Feast days where they were set apart for particular observances and the rest to come with that. Jubilee years, Sabbath years of the fields when, 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 when the whole field was allowed to just rest. I mean, it's, it's very much built into uh, kind of all we read about in the rhythms of creation. Work and rest are to be an ordinary part of our life. And again, they are essential for our good. It is good to rest. It's good to work. But that's another whole sermon. And it is, it is especially good to rest on an appointed day for rest. You will, I mean, you'll find such freedom to come when you've already determined that day 
is a rest from my ordinary work uh, and, it, and it, just the anticipation of it and all that it delivers on that day is exceedingly good. Fifth and last, the way uh, that we can carry out the cultural commission is submitting to the lordship of Christ. And this is why I was saying there were four or five. There, there's four really coming right out of the, um, of the creation account there. But submitting to the lordship of Christ really is number one. Everything begins here. I debated about whether to make that number one or number five, whether it was better to begin with that or end with that, because this is, uh, th this is sort of the non-negotiable of the whole thing. Everything begins here, and nothing proceeds unless we begin here. Nothing proceeds, at least in a way that really uh, fully honors and glorifies God. We who are put here on the earth... Uh, as God image, God's image bearers on his behalf ought to know that the Lord is not our, or sorry, the earth is not our playground. It is our duty station. The, the earth is not our playground. It is our duty station. It is not just given to us to do freely with whatever we want to do. We are here as, uh, again, co-rulers with with God governors over his creation, ambassadors of his on the scene. There's all kinds of metaphors you could attach to this. But we are here, our presence here entirely is to represent his presence. And so we have to submit ourselves first to the lordship of Christ. And if you haven't done that in your life, I would urge you to make today that day. You say, Jesus, I am yours. Confess your sins before him. Receive the forgiveness available through him. And then began a grand new journey. But the Great Commission, I said last week, you know, the, the Great Commission really uh, is best understood kind of in connection to the Cultural Commission or a fulfillment of it. Um, and I'm going to try to explain the reason why I said that, but you know the Great Commission from Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's how the Great Commission begins. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The scope of that, even right out of those few verses out of Jesus' mouth, goes beyond just repentance of our sin, forgiveness, and going to heaven one day. It, it, it says, he has authority over all of life. Bring all of your life under his authority and go tell others the same thing. Colossians 1 verses 16 through 20 really illuminates this uh, for us if we have any doubt or confusion about that. And listen, look, look at the number of ways he says all things in Colossians 1. For by him all things, this is by Jesus, 
by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It says that Jesus was the agent of all creation. All of it was made through him and for him. He is Lord over all of it. And he's recovered lordship over all of it. He didn't come just to redeem a small part of a fallen creation. He came to redeem all of it. All of it. And it's why we see the book close with a picture of a whole new heaven and a whole new earth and him Lord over it all. You see, and so the, the call to every human being is come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. I will give you rest. But he is to be Lord, not only of all people, but of all the life of all people. And that's why, again, to go back to the quote that I shared last week and see if this, at the end of today's message, um, if this takes on even greater meaning. From Abraham, this quote from Abraham Kuyper, I think I got that on my slides. But he says, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Not one square inch. And what that means for you to me, and it is wonderfully good news, is that having been called to him by his grace and brought uh, ourselves under his lordship, that we now turn and every square inch of creation that we've been given dominion over, Whatever that represents in our families, in our workplace, in the lives of our sweet little pets. I mean, whatever, whatever the scope is, however many square inches he has given us influence over. We're to bring all of that under the lordship of Christ as well. Meaning that right there, Right there in our little sphere, we bring order out of disorder. We create and build new things. We make them excellent and beautiful. We do the, all that uh, to the glory of God. And in the doing of that, we maintain rhythms of work and rest. That is the makings of exceedingly high purpose in life. For, for anybody really wanting to find a way to live purposefully, there's no higher way to say all of life, 
all things in my life, every square inch of my life, brought uh, joyfully, gladly under the lordship of Jesus, that he may be extolled among the nations. Let's pray. Well, God, it is our desire to surrender to your lordship, to see your lordship exercised fully in our lives personally, in our life together as a church, and to see it radiate in the city that we occupy and all over the globe. And Lord, we acknowledge we can look around in the world sometimes and be daunted by all of the problems, again, all of the conflicts and things that are just well beyond our reach. And so, Lord, would you show us today what is within our reach? Our few square inches that you have put us in charge over. And Lord, show us in just tremendously practical ways how we can represent you right where we are. That our whole lives would be to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.